You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is taken from Psalms chapter 72. I'll be reading from the CSB version. And as you follow along in your own Bibles, the passage will also be displayed on the screen. Psalm 72. A prayer for the King of Solomon. God, give your justice to the King and your righteousness to the King's Son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring well-being to the people and the hills righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass like spring showers that water the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and well-being abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coasts and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow in homage to him, all nations serve him, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. He will have pity on the poor and helpless and save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for the lives are precious in his sight. May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually, and may he be blessed all day long. May there be plenty of grain in the land, may it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon, may people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, as long as the sun shines. May his fame increase, may all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Uh, Gracious God, we we praise you for this new year. We commit it into your hands. Uh, We know that you are the Lord of salvation and you are the Lord of time. You are the Lord of history, and you are the Lord of this year. And we know that even our worst days this year and our best days this year, God, all of them fall under your sovereign hand. All of them are part of your sovereign care for us, your church. And so as we open your word in Psalm 72, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your instruction. Help us see Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, what are your ambitions for this year? What are your ambitions for this year? 
I've been catching up with a number of you over the last uh, week, and we've been talking about our hopes for this year. But what, what, if you could fast forward to this time next year, what would you like to be able to look back on and celebrate? That's another way of putting it. Uh, for some people, our ambitions this year are for our work. Some of you have mentioned to get a pay rise, a promotion, a secondment, another job. <laughs> for other people, our ambitions are for our relationships. We look at our friends, we want to invest more deeply into our friendships, to, to look after our aging parents, to start trying for kids, to discern for marriage. And I want to say all these ambitions are good. They're good ambitions. They're fine and good in themselves. But I wonder if you realize something about all of them. They're all about us. To be a little bit sharper, all of our ambitions, at least those ones, they are centered on self, which is a polite way of saying they're self-centered. Um, what I want to do across this month is to lift our eyes and to give us a greater ambition for this year. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four different psalms, songs or prayers of the Old Testament that will give us ambitions, not for ourselves, but they will give us ambitions for our Savior. These four psalms are anthems that sing high hopes for our King. And my hope is that we might turn these anthems into our ambitions, ambitions not for self, but ambitions for Christ. That this year, each and every one of us here might have ambitions that are not self-centered, but that we might have ambitions that are Christ-centered. There's the question, friends. How might we be ambitious for Him? this year. If we could fast forward to this time next year, what would we like to be able to look back on and celebrate for Jesus? You know, one of the biggest moments of last year, for those of you who follow, was the coronation of Charles III as king. It was the 6th of May when he ascended the throne. And on that day, so many small things changed that we're still getting used to. The Queen's birthday miraculously transformed into the king's birthday. For those of you who aspire to it, queen's councils became king's councils. And the anthem of the UK, long live the queen, suddenly became long live the king. God save our gracious king. Long live our noble king. God save the king. Send him victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the king. And when you think about it, that's a really strange anthem, isn't it? It's a really strange song for a people to sing, because most anthems are about us. They're about the people. Australians, let us all rejoice, I think. Um, stand up, don't. Stand up, or we don't want to be slaves. With the blood and your flesh, build a new great wall. That's, I'm not singing that, I'm just saying that. They're, they're the anthems that are focused on the people, but this is an anthem where 67 million citizens of the UK will plead, God save not me, God save the King. God bless our King. God extend the reign of our King over the whole earth. This is an anthem, a song that's ambitious, not for self, but for Him. Because it recognizes that if the King is victorious, the people will be victorious. If the king is happy and glorious, the people will be happy and glorious. You see, friends, the glory of the king is actually for the good of the people. 
And as the 67 million people of the UK sing for their king's glory, they're actually also singing for their own good. And that's what Psalm 72 is. It's an anthem at the coronation of a king. You'll see it right there at the top of the psalm, those two words, of Solomon or about Solomon. Solomon is the king's son in verse 2. This psalm is all about him. And just like God saved the the king, this psalm pleads for God to bless Solomon as the king, to extend his reign over the whole earth, because the glory of the king is for the good of the people. And the glory of our God is for the joy of his church. So let's look at this anthem. Let's resolve to make this anthem our ambition for this year, yeah? Let's be ambitious firstly in verses 1 to 11 for the king of all nations, the king for all nations. That's his ambition right there. Verse 1, God give justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. Let his reign be so happy and glorious, so just and righteous that we might be so honored and blessed. And then if you cast your eye down verses 2 to 11, you'll find a series of eight pleas, eight prayers, eight ambitions for the king. Uh, Verse 2 is better translated the same as every other verse. Not, he will judge your people with righteousness, but may he judge your people with righteousness. And then when you look down those verses, you'll find that same ambition for the king run right through those verses. May he, may he, may he. Friends, can you hear the high hopes this psalmist has for his king? What what a model of the ambitions that we ought to have this year. Ambitions that don't say, may I, may I, may I. But may he, may he. May he. Christ-centered ambitions, not self-centered ambitions. In verses 2 to 4, the psalmist is ambitious for his king to bear three things. Righteousness, justice, and peace. May he judge your people with righteousness. Tzedakah. And not just any righteousness, but God's righteousness. Absolute moral perfection. May he also judge your afflicted ones with justice. That the language of Mishpat, let his kingdom be one in which, verse 4, the afflicted are vindicated. That the poor are helped, the oppressors are crushed. But even more than that, may the mountains bring, there's that language, well-being to the people. Shalom. Peace. You see, when we say peace, we simply mean the absence of conflict. Out of sight, out of mind. No news is good news. There's peace. But God has such a bigger vision of peace than what it's not. No, for God, shalom isn't just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of life. It's wholeness, flourishing, blessing. It's this world and everything in it as it was always meant to be. It's God, humanity, and all creation in right relationship with each other. It's like all the Lego pieces of our world fitting together perfectly. Shalom is the blessing of God's covenant in Leviticus 26. I will give peace to the land. Shalom is the promise of Numbers 6. 
May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. And shalom is the kingdom of God in Isaiah 9 as Jesus comes as a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Do you see, friends, shalom is everything this world was meant to be. And it's everything that this world is not. Last year was awful. Think about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. The strike on Israel by Hamas. The recent attacks in the Red Sea by the Houthi rebels. But then we even think further afield. Potential threats to come. Military tension in Taiwan. Political division in America. And a mental health and identity crisis that plagues the West. And when you look at our world, it's hard not to feel like our world is on fire. Like our world is broken. And peace is the last word we'd use to describe our world today. And for some of you here, peace is the last word you'd use to describe your life. For so many of us, our lives aren't whole. They're broken, fractured and and divided. And it's why the psalmist says, God, give righteousness, justice, and peace to your king so that all of us can enjoy what we don't currently have. Because only the king can bring the peace we need. Only the king can fix our shattered world. Only the king can fix my broken life. That's what the psalmist is ambitious for. He's ambitious for his glory, but he's also ambitious for our good. So he pleads with God, let this king bring life to our world. Look at verses 5 to 7. We see this Edenic picture of all creation blessed by the king. May the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. And if the world flourishes, so will you and so will I. May the righteous flourish in his days, and there it is, peace, shalom, well-being, abound until the moon is no more. Do you see, friends, this isn't just the picture of a perfect kingdom. It's the picture of a perfect world. A world full of life. A world where death is no more. It's the world that King Jesus brought in when he declared, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. And if you look at Mark's gospel, anything from Mark 1 to Mark 8, you'll see this is a world of perfect righteousness where Jesus tears down traditions that stop people from caring for their aging parents. It's a world of perfect justice where Jesus purges corrupt religion that exploits the poor and the needy. It's a world of perfect peace where Jesus drives out demons, gives sight to the blind, and heals the unclean. And it's a world of perfect life where Jesus resurrects the dead, defeats death, and offers eternity to everyone who trusts in him. Friends, can you hear what the psalmist is praying here? He's pleading with God. He is ambitious for Jesus to change the world. You want an ambition for 2024. There's one that's worthy. There's one that's big enough. There's one that is too big for us, but not big enough for the king. But I want you to notice even more than that, the psalmist is ambitious for Jesus to be worshipped by absolutely everyone. 
The the Euphrates River, it ran through Eden like the Thames runs through London. And the psalmist prays in verse 8 that God's kingdom will extend from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. He desperately wants the Garden of Eden to cover the whole world with justice, righteousness, peace, and life. And I want you to notice, he longs for the enemies of this king to submit to him. He longs for the kings of this world to praise him. He wants every knee to bow before King Jesus. And you might hear that and, I don't know, you might balk at that image. That that picture of royal rule. And you think, how imperialist. How colonial. What an abuse of power. But I want you to know that if Jesus is the one king who can bring righteousness justice, peace, and life to our world, how could that not be good news for absolutely everyone? How could you not want to worship that king? How could his glory not be for our good? In fact, if that's what Jesus brings, then any enemy of that king is actually an enemy of justice, an enemy of peace, an enemy of righteousness, an enemy of life. Anyone who stands against the glory of that king stands against our world being blessed. The psalmist's great ambition is that Jesus might be worshipped by people from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. This psalmist will not be satisfied until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because the glory of Jesus is for the good of our world. Man, it makes our ambitions for this year look tiny. I mean, is that our prayer? Is that our ambition? Is that our hope for this year? It sounds so modest and yet so glorious. Is our ambition that yet one more person might hear the good news of our king and find life in his name? Is our ambition that yet one more nation might bow the knee before King Jesus and enjoy and experience his righteousness, his justice, and his peace? Is our hope that by this time next year, our Lord and King might receive yet more glory, yet more honor, yet more power, and yet more praise than he does today? Are our ambitions this year for our own glory, or are they for the glory of our King? You see, friends, unlike us, Jesus is the only one who is worthy, for he is the King for all nations. And he is the king for all ages. Notice in verses 15 to 20, the emphasis on time. May he live long. May prayer be offered for him continually. And may he be blessed all day long. May his name endure forever. As long as the sun shines, may his fame increase. Friends, can you hear what this psalmist longs for more than anything else? Long live the king. He wants Jesus to reign forever. Now, if you're someone who cringed at the thought that every king would bow before Jesus in submission and obedience, then you'll really balk at this thought, the thought of a never-ending eternal reign. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, said Lord Acton. That's why we have term limits. 
It's why we have checks and balances. It's why we have a separation of powers, precisely so that no one man or woman can rule forever. Well, we've seen enough of it through history, haven't we? If one person rules forever, the people will never be free. That everlasting rule will always come at our expense. That so-called glorious eternal kingdom will always come at our cost. The longer his reign, the longer our suffering. But not so with Jesus. For he is bringing in a kingdom of perfect righteousness, justice and peace. A kingdom of eternal life. Do you see, friends, if Jesus reigns forever, that means you and I get to enjoy his glory forever, his peace forever, his life forever. An eternal king means an eternal kingdom, and an eternal kingdom means eternal life. It means eternal blessing for all people, for all time. Because look at how the psalmist describes this eternal kingdom in verse 16. May there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon. Friends, this is an eternal earth where even the environment is transformed. A world so full of crop that that no one will ever grow hungry. A world so full of grain that famine will be but a distant memory. A world where people will flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. Friends, this will be an eternal shalom. Where everything, God, humanity, and all creation are everything we were always meant to be. You won't want it to ever end. And it won't. You see, friends, that's the kingdom that Jesus has brought in. It's not a kingdom of temporary righteousness, fleeting justice, ephemeral peace, and mortal life. No, Jesus has brought in a resurrection kingdom, an eternal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes this, Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. When Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated death and he guaranteed that all of us who trust in him can be like him. You and I can enjoy eternal life. We can enjoy eternal life in that eternal kingdom with our eternal family and our eternal God. Verse 24, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. Beautiful words, for he must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Friends, can you see the picture that Paul is painting? That the risen Lord Jesus will raise us to eternal life and he will bring down and bring in an eternal kingdom where death will be no more. And so in verse 17, the psalmist ends this anthem with this beautiful symbiotic blessing. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Do you see, friends, it's when Jesus is blessed that we share in his blessings. His greatest glory is for our greatest good. His eternal reign is for our eternal joy. 
we must not pit God's blessing against our blessing. But I'm convinced that so many of us Christians, if we've been Christian for longer than two days, we somehow think that if we live for God's glory, it will come at the expense of our good. We think that if we live for Jesus' reign, it means we won't be happy in this life. But we must not fall into the trap of thinking that living for Jesus equals a dour life of drudgery and despair. Now, I want to say, friends, can you see, his blessing is for our blessing. If we live for God's glory, it will only maximize our good. If you live under Jesus' reign, it will only magnify your joy. Do you share the psalmist's prayer that Jesus will reign forever? Are your hopes for this year fixed on eternity? Are your ambitions for this year determined not by this year? Are they determined by the world to come? Friends, can I say it is tragic how so many of our ambitions each and every year seem to be tied to this world only, this life only, even this year only. We plan for this worldly, ephemeral and fleeting things, yet another holiday, another road trip, another adventure, a first home, a new investment, the next job. Now, I want to say, none of these what we might call uncovenanted blessings are bad in themselves. When we say uncovenanted blessings, we mean blessings that aren't part of God's covenant. Blessings that aren't promised by God, but God still gives all the same. These are good things. God says, receive them with joy and thanksgiving. They're, they're, good. they're not bad in themselves. But if you make them your ambition, we are living as if this world is all there is. If we live for this life only, we are living as if Jesus does not reign forever. And if our ambition is for Jesus' eternal reign, then surely our ambitions would not be so short-sighted. Surely we would say something like this, Adam, by this time next year, I pray that I would be less controlled by money and more gripped by the gospel. I would put less significance in a first home and a greater longing for my heavenly home. I'd be less keen to travel the world and more excited to gather with God's people every Sunday. I'd be, I'm appreciative to see other people at church, but I'm so excited and expectant to meet the Lord. Surely they would be the ambitions that we have, ambitions for the world to come, ambitions that would say this world is not all there is, ambitions that would say there is an eternal kingdom greater than this fleeting world. When Charles ascended the throne, he held in one hand the sovereign scepter, and in the other hand, the sovereign's orb. But the one regalia that makes him king is not the scepter nor the orb. It's his crown. And the two parts of this great psalm in verses 1 to 11 and 15 to 28 are like the scepter and the orb in either hand. But the one regalia that makes Jesus king is right in the middle. It's right there in verses 12 to 14. It's his crown. What makes this king so glorious? What makes this king so worthy to be the ambition of our year and the ambition of our lives? It's not his power or possessions, great though they are. It's his compassion. 
Look at what he does in these verses. He rescues, saves and redeems. And look at who he rescues, saves and redeems. The the poor, the afflicted, the, the helpless. But more than anything else, look at his heart. The heart behind his actions. He looks on those who cannot help themselves and look at these beautiful words. Their lives are precious in his sight. Isn't that beautiful? I was just telling um, Matt Song this morning when we had coffee, I said, when you read your Bible for the year, you're going to read maybe two or three chapters a day, we hope. Um, I said, how do I remember all this? I'm like, that's why I like to read my Bible with a highlighter. It's blasphemous to many people to mark your Bible, but I do it. And I will always often look for that one line in what I'm reading that day, faithful to Scripture, that the Spirit is searing on my heart. And if I were to highlight anything in this psalm, there it is. Their lives are precious in his sight. The the king for all nations, the king for all time, looks on one lowly, poor and helpless person and says, you are precious to me. Jesus, in all his glory, power and might, looks on you and says, you are precious to me. Friends, this king is so full of compassion that he doesn't just rescue the poor, save the afflicted or redeem the helpless. No, he does so much more than that. He forgives the sinner. He dies for the wicked. He makes the enemy his friend. He looks at a people who hate him and reject him, a people who want nothing to do with him, and he still says, you are precious to me. Romans 5. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the, not the godly, he died for the ungodly. God proves his own love for us in that while we were still, not saints, sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his friends, no, not his friends, his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Friends, what, what king? is so compassionate that he would die even for ungodly sinners who hate him. What king is so compassionate that he would look at a people who crucify and murder him and still say, you are precious to me. You see, friends, what makes Jesus truly king is not a scepter of power nor an orb of might. What makes him king is a crown of thorns. What makes Jesus truly king is his suffering and his death. What makes Jesus truly king is the compassion which led him to die for his enemies, which led him to die for you, which led him to die for me. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, please know this. Making Jesus the king of your life is the greatest decision you can ever make. Because you're submitting yourself to a king of righteousness, justice, and peace. You're bringing your life under a king who will give you eternal life. But more than anything else, you're giving your life to a king who is so compassionate that he'll forgive you everything you've ever done or will ever do. You're giving your life to a king who looks at you in your brokenness, in your helplessness, in your sin, And he still says, 
you are precious in my sight. Brothers and sisters, if you call yourself a Christian, let me ask this question. If we are precious in God's sight, is He precious in ours? Is God precious to you? Is He so precious to your heart? Is He so near to your heart that this anthem for His glory might be your ambition this year? So what are your ambitions for this year? I pray to God they're not so short-sighted or centered on self or self-centered to make them all about ourselves. You are not the king. I am not the king. Jesus alone is the king. And our ambitions must be for him and him alone. So sure, book the holiday, go on the road trip. I want to go to Korea later this year. That's a good thing. We praise God for that, right? You'll hear much about it. Don't worry, I'm sure. Um, Good uncovenanted blessings to receive with thanksgiving. But they must never be the ambition of our year. They must never be the goal of our life. No, we must make His glory our goal. And as we make His glory our goal, we are actually also working for our own good. Because His blessing is for the blessing of the nations. And His eternal reign is for the eternal joy of our world. If you were with us last week, you would know that we ended our series in Genesis 26-36. We got to the end of Jacob's uh, narrative and life story, and we, as he reflected on his life, I asked those five questions for us to reflect on our own lives, and then at the very end, I did a slightly dangerous thing by saying, let me reflect on these five questions for us as a church together. If you want to hear what my reflections were, go back. It's on Spotify. It's right there. Now, I want to do the same thing again, but I want to, rather than look back with you, I want to look forward with us. I want to lead us now in setting some collective ambitions for us as a church family, that our ambitions might be Godwardly attentive. Firstly, here's what I'd like us to do together, friends. Let's resolve that God's justice, righteousness, and peace be increasingly worked out among us this year. Let's resolve that God's justice, righteousness, and peace be increasingly worked out among us this year. Friends, the church is meant to be a picture of the kingdom. It's meant to be that one place where everything fits together as it ought. It ought to be that place of shalom, where of wholeness, of peace, of life, of blessing. And it's that place where when we don't fit together as we ought, when we're broken apart by sin, we're continually being put back together being continually reconciled in love. This year, why don't we as a church family resolve to extend God's justice, righteousness and peace to one another by reconciling old hurts, caring for the most vulnerable among among us, loving those who have least. For, friends, I'm convinced that if we do that, we are shining the light of God's glory to the world around us, and we're experiencing something of His good among us as well. Let's resolve that His righteousness, justice, and peace be increasingly worked out among us this year. Secondly, let's resolve that God might save yet more sinners into His kingdom this year. Can I say, church growth is good. The word growth gets a bad rap from a lot of sort of places. I want to say growth is good. God is on about growth. Colossians 1 is on about growth spiritually in maturity and growth in number. I want to say church growth is good. So as a church, we welcome Christians from other churches who want to call us home. If that's you, we're so glad you're with us. But 
Kingdom growth is better. In fact, I want to say kingdom growth is essential. Because what we long for more than anything else is not for people to move from one church to another. We long for people to move from one kingdom to another. So if you're joining us from another church and you want to call us home, great. Join us if you're on about that mission of seeing people move from one kingdom to another. Join us in this mission. Don't join us to chill out. It's a good thing we like each other. We're together for God's mission. So come and come along for the ride, not for the ride. Come along for the mission. Come along so that this year you might join us in resolving to see more and more sinners saved in the kingdom of God. We want to see yet more people bow the knee before King Jesus, for he is worthy. We want to be a church that have hearts that break for the lost. Thirdly, let's resolve that yet more nations might serve the Lord Jesus this year. Because that's the heart of this psalm, verse 11. Let all kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him. Friends, we want to reach not just our friends and family with the gospel, we want to reach every nation for Jesus. It's why our vision as a church is to see people from every tribe worship Christ as king. It's why we're sending missionaries like Rick and Ellen Warner and their kids to the Middle East. It's why we're backing Kwan to plant a church, anchor church in sunshine. Sunshine, meeting at, on Sundays at what time? 2.30, you can still go if you want and make it in time, right? It's, it's why we're doing those things. It's why under God, Lord willing, in 2025, we have to start a new congregation. Look around. We need to make yet more room for yet more people to turn to the Lord Jesus. Friends, our heart beats mission. We long for maturity, but as I said, we must not pit maturity and mission against each other. We must not go, this is the year for maturity so we can be strong, so we can be on mission next year. Until then, let's not do evangelism. <laughs> no, no, no. We can do both. Under God, we can do both and more. Finally, let's resolve as a church that our hearts might burn more brightly for the Lord this year. I mentioned last week that one of the risks for our church, given that we're a tight community of people who actually like each other, wonderful, is that we may suffer or fall into a temptation of an idolatry of community. An idolatry where we enjoy coming to church each Sunday because we enjoy each other's company more than we enjoy worshipping the Lord. We come to see one another rather than coming to see or meet the Lord. Let's keep that going. A love for one another. But let us centre our love for one another around a central love for the Lord Jesus. Our hearts must burn for him more than anything or anyone else. May our desires be less attuned to the fleeting pleasures of this world. May our passions be less directed towards ourselves or even one another, our comfort or our pleasure. No, friends, here's my heart. May our hearts burn for the Lord and his glory. May our deepest desire, our highest hope, our greatest goal be for Jesus to receive all the honor, glory, power and praise that he is due. So let me ask this question. I'm going to give you a moment in the quietness of your hearts to answer it. And then I'm going to encourage you this afternoon to think about it more and share it with someone else that you know. Here's the question. How might you be ambitious for Jesus this year? Take a moment in the quietness of your heart to reflect on that. How might you be ambitious for Jesus this year?
Can I pray for us? God of all glory, King of all majesty, you alone are worthy. We are not, and yet constantly we live our years and our lives as if we are. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. We turn to you this year, God. Commit this year into your hands, knowing that you alone deserve the highest praise. We want to make you our great ambition. We want to make the glory of Jesus our great goal. We want our hearts to not just break for the loss, but to burn for the Lord and his glory. We want his fame to be our greatest goal. We want our whole lives to be directed towards him so that this time next year, we might look back and celebrate, wow, yet one more person has seen the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Yet one more nation has been reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Yet one more people have bowed the knee before him and called him their king. God, we know we can't change our own hearts. Only your spirit can do it. So by your spirit, do what only you can do. Make our ambition. Be long live the King. Amen.